Welcome to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast of the Illinois Air National Guard at Scott Air Force Base. I'm your host, Technical Sergeant Brian Ellison. The Roll Call podcast focused on people, mission, and community. Thanks for listening. Coming up, we're going to be talking to 2nd Lieutenant Tamika Garza from SCMS. Hopefully, she'll tell us a little bit about what the mysterious SCMS does. We'll talk about uh, Women's History Month, her uh, mentors, and uh, going from tech sergeant to second lieutenant. Also, General Van Ovost, the Air Mobility Command commander on the other side of Scott Air Force Base, may just be moving offices. If you're having thoughts of suicide or know someone in crisis, call the Military Crisis Line 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Press 1 for military. There is a chat line also. You can chat through uh, their website, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. That's suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Another way to help is the crisis text line. You can text HELP, H-E-L-P, to 838-255. The crisis text line, uh, again, text HELP to H-E-L-P, to uh, text H-E-L-P to 838-255. Air Force Youth Programs is having teen aviation camp in partnership with Air Force Aero Clubs virtually this year. The virtual camp is 14 through 25 June, and it offers an introduction to the field of aviation and opportunities for careers and leadership roles within the Air Force. The camp is a combination of web-based presentations and discussion groups along with self-paced course materials that uh, provide the knowledge to complete Get this, your private pilot exam and uh, begin uh, their uh, journey toward earning a private pilot license. Kids have to have completed their freshman year in high school, uh, be a dependent of an Air Force active duty, Air Force National Guard, uh, DOD civilian employees, and they cannot have previously attended the virtual or in-person teen aviation camp I'll put a link in the description to the information. Coming up here on Roll Call, we're talking to Second Lieutenant Tamika Garza from Supply Chain Management. Hi, my name's Senior Airman Gregory Goder. I'm uh, part of the 126 Comptroller Flight, and uh, I'm a financial manager here. My day-to-day job um, would be I'm an accounting technician, basically, so I'm in charge of all the squadron's uh, purchases. I make sure they uh, hit the books correctly. What I like most about being in the 126 is I'm an AGR out here, so I work out here full-time. Um, with that, I get a bunch of opportunities. Um, traveling is probably my favorite opportunity. Um, I've been to a bunch of cool places like um, Washington State, which was the first time I've ever been there. Um, I also play on the base softball team, um, so I get to travel with them quite a bit as well. I joined the Air National Guard because after college, um, I had a couple jobs I didn't really like. I want to have an impactful career and make a difference on my community. I chose the 126 um, because I could pretty much stay around all my friends and family and still be part of their National Guard. I joined the Comptroller flight um, because my bachelor's in business management um, and it kind of just fell hand in hand with uh, working with finances. But one huge benefit I've been taking advantage of is uh, my full-time employment as an AGR. Um, as an AGR, I get um, active duty pay, benefits, and everything that goes along with being active duty, but I get to stay home. 
Hi, we are the 126 recruiting team. I'm Master Sergeant Heather Wildey, recruiting flight chief. I'm Technical Sergeant Richard Olson, production recruiter. To learn more about career training with the 126, give us a call at 618-222-5701. But, but wait, wait, there's, there's more. more. Give us a call in the next five minutes and you could qualify for four years of free college tuition. We're joined today by Second Lieutenant Tamika Garza from the uh, Supply Chain Management Squadron. Now, ma'am, before we get into the uh, secret cabal of SCMS, I have to ask you: If you check, have you checked your your new the, the uniform on your pocket? There's a third button right here. There's a third button on each pocket. Yes. What is that for? It is for when your thighs get bigger. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> now, now we know. And it's been an it's been answered. <laughs> Thanks for uh, joining us today, ma'am. What do you do? What what is the supply chain management? Let me ask you that first. We are a total force integrated organization where we work with active duty people, civilians, and even some reservists. And we're all there doing some enterprise level stuff for supply and logistics. So we have trans over there. We have supply folks. And really, we um, have like a wide range of operations globally. I still don't understand it, but okay. Yes. We're going to talk to actually Colonel Curry or uh, Chief Stewart's going to come on and tell us more about uh, SCMS because you guys have some changes coming on over there yes, as well. So uh, they'll tell us more about uh, the secret cabal that is SCMS. Stay tuned. So what do you do at uh, SCMS? I work in repair network management, and basically, it's fairly new, and supply folks collaborate with maintenance people, and we are reducing repair times. So right now, the repair time is kind of like 45 to 50 days at the depot. So these repairable assets are being delayed. So right now, we've reduced that time by sending them to repair facilities and back shops that are kind of just actually repairing the end item itself and not the whole assembly. And it's just reducing a lot of cost and time for maintainers. So is that for, is it, what, what exactly are, are you, fo is it, are you focused on one piece of equipment or are you focused on different pieces of equipment over there? So we're focused on the repairable equipment. And a cool fact about that is usually um, we have an item called XF3 items that usually just go straight to the trash. Well, now we find a way to repair those items at this repair facility. And so that's like avoided so much cost gone down the drain. How do you, how do you oversee something like that? What's your like... What's my role in all yeah, this? Yeah, what's your role in all that? My role is honestly to set up these meetings with the higher beings, the generals and colonels and um, software engineers because we're working on optimization tools. So I'm a part of different projects like that to move this further and grow this network because it's really catching on. It's a really big deal that we're avoiding so much cost wasted on repairing these um, in items because what they're doing is instead of repairing the end item, they're sending them to depot and they're, um, they're like repairing a bigger assembly. Okay. And it's costing more money to fix that bigger assembly instead of what's really broken, the little piece that's really broken. Does, does this like a process that you perfected or 
Is this just a process that you picked up somewhere? No, honestly, it just takes a little bit of supply knowledge. It takes some um, quick learning and just networking capability because this is a relationship that you're building between supply and maintenance. And like I said, software engineers and uh, different uh distinguished visitors and things like that because a lot of people are coming, a lot of generals and colonels are coming down and they're wanting to be a part of this big initiative. Repair network management is going to be huge. And um, I know I'm not describing it that well. I've only been in it for like about two months. That's all right. So um, I may not be explaining it very well, but it is a huge push right now um, at headquarters level. Like this is big. Are you doing this for, uh, is this something that you're that you're kind of, uh, overseeing for the whole world, at least as because you guys deal with a lot of stuff that goes around the world. I mean, yes, you we guys do it for the entire Air Force. Yeah, because you're not just focused on what's going on here at Scott Air Force Base or the 126th. No, sir, we're doing this for every Air Force Base. Every uh, even the Air National Guard are a part of this. We're doing guard bases. Um, they're repairing a lot of these assets as well. Wow, how did? Uh, so you were you were enlisted, I'm assuming, before. Yes. Uh, how did you become? Uh, what made you become an officer? Honestly, I I wanted the challenge. I felt like I could do more, and so I wanted that challenge of doing more. Kind of like leaders leading other leaders. I wanted to be that light, right? I wanted right. to inspire people. And kind of be that example. I wanted to lead by example and just be a part of something greater, like make real change, not just kind of talk about it and be an executioner of the job. And I want to say in one quarter, it could be like $59 million of cost avoided. Wow. So you were, what, before you became officer, you were enlisted, what rank did you, were you at there? I was a tech sergeant. Okay. And still in the supply field. I was a supply troop. Okay. Uh, um, was there somebody that pushed you into becoming an officer? Was it uh, something that you just took upon yourself? Or was there some mentor that said, hey, we think you'd be a great officer? Um, honestly, um, so I was active duty first. Oh, okay. And um, when I was on active duty, um, I can only remember one uh, mentor, one uh, woman who really inspired me, and um, she was a master sergeant. I came in as an A1C, and she was a master sergeant. And, man, I just always admired her. She took me under her wing, which usually senior NCOs don't do uh, sure. back then with uh, the young airmen coming in. But she saw something in me, and she just would always pull me to the side, and she would always tell me, stop going around asking people for the answer. Get in the book. She always had this big supply manual on her desk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And she would always tell me, get in the book, learn the process for yourself, and not just the quick answer. And I just love the way she carried herself, because, you know, sometimes as women, we kind of get lost in this uniform. So I liked how she still looked feminine. She was still presentable, always in regs, just very professional. I love the way she carried herself and knew her craft and excelled in her craft. She made chief. Wow. Eventually. So, yeah, no one really pushed me to the officership, but I just, I know I always had her as a mentor. And I mean, I was in ROTC in high school. I just always wanted to serve. So I just always looked for that next challenge. What was her name? 
Linda Washington. Well, she retired Chief Linda Washington. What? Uh, so what's the transition like? Uh, how long have you been a uh, second lieutenant now? Ooh, since December, so about three months. How, what's that transition been like for you? Um, it's been difficult because it's like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Because I, I love jumping in and doing the work. I'm an executioner. So I'm like, okay, I want to get in. I want to knock it out. And okay, we're done. I want to perfect this and we're done. But um, I'm learning how to step back and pull people together, pull teams together, see a bigger picture, look at it from a different scope. Um, so it's interesting. It keeps me on my toes. So I, I love the challenge, and it's different every day. See, when you're enlisted, you know, hey, I'm coming to work, I'm doing my work, and then that's it. But when you're an officer, it changes every day. Has your goals changed since now that you become an officer? Uh, do you, how, how do you see your career now? Has it changed your, your idea of your career becoming an officer? Yes, it has, because when I was enlisted, my goal was, you know what? I want to be an officer. I didn't know what kind of officer I wanted to be, but I knew that I wanted to be an officer, be an example for others, be a mentor. And then now I'm like, okay, well, I do need to know what kind of officer I want to be. I want to be my squadron commander. So that's great. That's my new goal. What do you look for? I mean, I don't know if we actively seek out mentors. I don't know if that's how, I mean, it just seems like we kind of, I don't know, for me, it just seems like I just kind of fall in with a mentor. Just somehow it just, is there something that you look for in a mentor that you go, hey, you know, this guy's, this is, this is my, this is my mentor. Yes, honestly, it's someone who you feel comfortable with because your dreams, your aspirations, like your vision of, um, where you want to go in life, that's kind of your baby. That's kind of personal. So it has to be someone that you're willing to share that with and um, they're able to pour into you. So it can't be someone where you look at them and you say, you know what, they don't even have their self together. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it has to be someone where you see that, okay, they're really taking care of business. They're, I like the way they're doing that. And so I inspire to align myself with them. You were talking about you were a supply troop before. Did, did, were you at SCMS before or were you at LRS? Yes, sir, I was. When I joined the uh, Air National Guard, I actually joined into the 126 SCMS. Wow. What made you join uh, the 126th? Honestly, because I liked that it was here at Scott, I wasn't too familiar with the uh, guard because I had just got off active duty and went to college full time. Mm. Um, and I was in Carbondale, so it was close by. And it was something I was familiar with because, like I said, it's here at an active duty base. So I was kind of familiar with it. I was comfortable with it. I was a supply troop uh, when I was on active duty. Oh, okay. So the chips just fell in line. What uh, did you study at Carbondale? Information system technology. Hey, that's got to help this job that you have right now, right? I mean, just being able to... Uh... Listen, technology, if you're not really using it and keeping up with it, it will pass you by. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You were, you, where'd you join, where, where are you from? Originally, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, okay. But I, uh, like I said, I joined active duty um, in St. Louis from... Right across the river because my mom lived here. Oh, okay. So uh, when did you join the Air Force? 
Now you're trying to get close to oh, my age. <laughs> I joined, I'll tell you, I joined the Army in 1992. Okay, it was after that. Okay, <laughs> see, okay, so that's, that's fine. How long did you spend in the active uh, Air Force? Six and a half years. I got out to pursue pursue education full-time i was deploying a lot this was back when we had set aefs and we were deploying like every other year i was having children and i was like you know what i really need to knock out this degree because once again the goal was always to be an officer so you joined the the national guard what what made you join the national guard i mean it was there not the reason because i guess we don't hear that much about the national guard when we're active you hear mostly about the reserves and things like that. So, and that's true, because like I said, I didn't know much about the Air National Guard, except for when I deployed, I would always see them kind of rotate kind of quicker than us. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I didn't know, but when I tried to apply for the active duty uh, officer boards, it was really difficult. And then they were uh, kind of kicking out a lot of the officers. So mm. it was just timing. Right. Like I said, the chips just kind of a line and I um, I learned more about it and just specifically this unit here so this was all I knew and I said hey they have something going on here I want to be a part of what was it about this uh, the 126 that uh, that drew you here like I said that they had planes it was close by and honestly this base was the first base that I visited ever when I was uh, joining the military this was a visit uh, in the delay entry program. Yeah. Scott Air Force Base. So it was just, all the signs were there. <laughs> I, it was like, go to Scott. Go to the 126. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's strange. I mean, I don't even know. I'm from, I mean, I, I'm from St. Louis, but we moved back and I needed to join the, a guard unit. And for some reason, I don't know why, I just assumed there was a guard unit here at Scott. And thankfully... There was a guard unit here at Scott because I did not want to have to go to Whiteman Air Base for a drill every every month. And so you're from Memphis. You, you joined. You were you were in the Air Force for six and a half years. Yes. What's uh, what's been your thought on the new uh, hairstyle changes? What's your how, how's that? What's that been like for you? Uh, how how do you see your how, when, okay, when I first saw it, I'm like, I don't know about that. I'm so brainwashed, you know? <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? As a leader, I'm going to make sure that I understand this reg and I'm going to lead by example. Because a lot of times we read regs, but we don't really interpret it the same as others. And so I said that I was going to be an example. I have my ponytail in right now. That's awesome. And so people can look at me and say, you know what? That's how you wear the ponytail. It still looks professional. So just lean by example like I wanted to. It's uh, Women's History Month. Are, are, who are, I mean, you talked about that chief. Who are uh, some other women that maybe have influenced you in, in the military? Um, honestly, she was the only one. When I was coming through, there wasn't many women um, in my units that really that I really looked up to, um, but here in the uh, Air National Guard at the 126, honestly, uh, Chief Stewart. As a matter of fact, there's a tradition with officers: your first salute with an enlisted person. She was my first salute because she was always um, kind of hard on us, like that motherly, tough love. And so I, I kind of, I don't know, respected that and liked that about her, that toughness and that push. Because sometimes 
we need that. And so I, I liked how she pushed me. And so I, I looked up to her. Is there something that, I don't know, fellow or women officers can do to help improve the, uh, I don't know, what am I trying to say? Just to help improve uh, the uh, women's roles in the military. I mean, it seems like, it just seems so old-fashioned to even say that, but it still seems like there's still, you still see an issue with women in the military uh, maybe gaining, getting respect and being respected. Do you, do you see that or do you see less, are you seeing less of that? Um, honestly, I can't speak to that because I've never experienced that. The only thing I can speak to is representation. And I love how Major Lubeck had um, invited the women officers of the wing together. And um, when we looked around the room, I, I want to say maybe it was 12 of us. And, the, um, and I was like, wow, you know, such a, you know, small number, but you know, things like that mentorship program, that's what's going to help us getting out there and just representing, showing, you know, what we do, maybe going around to the different units and uh, showing that we are here and uh, we're making an impact in the wing. And to encourage, you know, young women that desire to be an officer but may not, you know, have that encouragement, have that push, you know, <laughs> to say, hey, you can do it too and we will help you do it. What, what can men do differently to help lead women, female troops? Is there something we can do differently? I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I guess I'm just kind of thinking out loud. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Or is it, is it something like that you wish you would have had when you were an enlisted troop in Kadena or, you know, even here at Scott? Honestly, I don't think that there's something that men can literally do except for just keep the door open, um, continue to have these conversations, like these podcasts, um, like I said, these mentorship programs, and just keep the conversation going and keep the doors open because we're coming. There's, <laughs> there's going to be more. That's great. Uh, yeah, I just, yeah it's, it's a great, I mean, just talking about it, I think is a, it's a great idea. Because I often want, I mean... Because I push my daughter, I don't push her that hard, but at the same time, we push her and we try to make her understand why we are pushing her. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, I mean, she's a straight A student, I don't have anything to worry about, it, but just like, hey, I, I don't know, I just am trying to always be that reinforcer, like, this is why we push you, and this is why we want you to be better, because back in the day, women weren't... Nobody could. Nobody thought the women could do this, and it's just like, yeah, it's it's good to, like you said, you know, she has good grades, but it's all about your confidence and believing that not only you can do it, but you can achieve even greater. Right, and maybe that's a good point. How do we build their confidence? Maybe that's what I'm looking at. Because it, it, I hate to say that, but some they, they lack that confidence, and I think that's. But how, how do we how do we build their confidence? How how do we say, hey, you can do this? Continue the conversations, continue the exposure, just like all these, I think they call it STEAM now. I don't really mm -hmm. know why we call it STEAM uh, with the art in there, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, honestly, just the exposure, the, um, 
putting them in those different roles, like you said, being hard on them and pushing them, not hard as in, you know, you have to do this because you have to, you know, be the uh, difference, but because, hey, you know, you can do it. You can do whatever it is that you want to do. You may not see it. So that's why we have to expose them to these different things, different programs. Uh, bring her up here with us, with the uh, other women officers. You know, she may want to be a female pilot. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we just don't see it. So just exposure and conversation. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think you're right. Yeah, exposure and conversation. You, you, you and I are fully vaccinated. That's right. Ah, that is a, that is a weight off. How do, does that a weight off your shoulder? Yes, it is in a way. Um, my son actually has asthma, so I'm still kind of, still kind of cautious, and I'm waiting for them to, you know, roll it out for children. But yeah. it is kind of a weight off of my shoulder, and it's like we're saving the world, right? Yeah, <laughs> we're doing it. And uh, boy, we both got the Moderna. How was that second vaccine? I was. You know what? I once again trying to be. You know, a good airman. I went running so I can stay um, <laughs> physically fit. And when I ran on the same day that we got our second shot, and oh my goodness, I was laid out on the couch, not moving, and I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that day we got it on Monday. It was a day off from my training program. So I was like, okay, I'm cool. And then so I got up Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning, I got up with the worst chills I've ever had that I can ever remember exhausted. I was like, I ain't working out. There's no way. My, my heart rate was way up there. I was like, what is going on? Yeah, my body didn't know what to do. It's like, are we sick or are we healthy? Like, what is going on? <laughs> Why are you exercising? Yeah. <laughs> Cut it out. Stop. But by Wednesday afternoon, I finally started to feel better. Yes. But as I kept telling myself, so much better than COVID. Yes, absolutely. Thankfully. Yeah, we are so lucky. I can say it. I never had to have a cotton swab put up my nose. I survived that. <laughs> I did I did COVID duty and we had to get tested. <laughs> That's the worst. Is it? Oh goodness. I was like, "Oh. My my wife's son and daughter, we went swimming all day last summer." And they thought they had COVID. So they had to go get their nose swabbed. And I was oh just like, gosh. for whatever reason, I did not. Because we were jumping into the pool. And what, ha what I read about was basically what happens is you, you jump into the pool so much, from the, the water gets pushed up into your head. Mm. And so they thought they had COVID. But it was just like some kind of like a pool cold or something like that. Something oh weird. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But thankfully. Oh, thank all God. Oh, I had to just, I watched them get the thing put up there. They're, it's not pleasant. <laughs> I made it. My one claim to fame from uh, COVID. I did not have to get it uh, to get the, the cotton swab up my nose. What do you hope to represent to your daughters? Oh, my gosh. Perseverance and strength and confidence. Oh, my goodness. Mainly strength because... Um, just like now, so I had to obviously go away for OTS, mm -hmm. and so I had to deal with being away from my children and then come back and be fully immersed in the remote learning and then learning my job and still having to do uh, training. <laughs> and 
And then I'm in a master's program. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and then, of course, I still have to have time for my husband and then housework and things of that nature. So I want to instill in her strength. Do not get deterred by, you know, being that family woman and not still pursuing your career dreams. What was OTS like? It was similar to basic, but it was a lot different in the sense of they want you to figure it out. It's not, hey, do what I tell you to do the way I tell you to do it. It's you figure it out and you're always wrong. So good luck with that. Well, there you go. <laughs> that that really uh, instills some confidence in you. <laughs> but now that it's over... You know, I can look back and say, oh, that was a great experience. But going through it, it's like, what have I done? <laughs> How long is OTS? It's eight weeks and it's ever changing. They're still trying to figure it out. But yes, it is eight long weeks. Eight long weeks. You got six kids. You got to deal with virtual learning in the middle of a pandemic. Yes. And, you got a, and you're in a master's program. What's your mm -hmm. master's? Public policy. That's my master's. Really? I, I have a master's in public policy. Oh, my goodness. Look at there. We have something in common. Yes. Oh, where, where, who are you going through? SIUE. Oh, man. I got mine through uh, New England College. And, uh, I mean, I have a degree in public, political science and a master's in po po um, public policy. Where's the, where has that gotten me? You're looking at it. <laughs> But this is good, though. I'm really excited oh, to do this. I love public policy. I love it to death. My uh, master's thesis was uh, was on uh, get out the vote, which is all part of because um, what I, what I in our program and for our master's program, what we found, what we did was we went through like two or we we studied the how policies were put into place, and then we started breaking down each. Uh, air, area of public policy, mm -hmm. economy, internet, you know, all, all this stuff. But it was, uh, we, I could talk about it all day. Let's, let's do a <laughs> podcast on that. Talk about some public <laughs> policy. I'm the, uh, I'm the nerd on uh, that scopes Facebook to uh, correct people, go, mm, actually, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, somebody tried to, wanted to uh, put up a meme about, uh, Sending, what did it say? Do other countries send America taxes? And I said, well, actually, they do. <laughs> it's called buying treasury bills. But anyways, I'll uh, I'll I'll not bore everybody with uh, talk of public policy. How long how how long have you been into the program? Um, shoot, about a year. So how long is that program? It's a two-year program, but I'm taking my time with it because I do have so much going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm taking, like, one class here, one class there. Oh, I don't blame you. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. A lot of reading. Yes. A lot of reading. <laughs> Holy cow. Yes. It was that or public administration. Now I wish I'd have taken public administration. But don't let me deter you in that. Just well, because no, there's combined. It's public administration and uh, policy analysis. But I just say public policy. Oh, that's so much better. Just because people look at my mat on my resume and they go, oh, you have a master's in public policy? What is that? I was like, well, if you need a law passed, I can help you pass that law. <laughs> if you want to talk to a congressperson, I can help you talk to him. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, 
It's an interesting. Uh, I, I do. I, I love it, though. I'll talk about it all day. All right. So uh, anything else you want to add? No, I'm just thankful that you selected me to come on today. Oh. This is exciting. My first podcast. Hey, hey. All right. Thank you very much. That is Second Lieutenant Tamika Garza from Supply Chain Management Squadron, ma'am. Uh, thanks again for coming in. Thank you. Have a good one. With your look around the Air Force, I'm Staff Sergeant Eric Mann. President Joe Biden nominated Air Force General Jacqueline Van Ovost to lead the U.S. Transportation Command, a Defense Department combatant command. General Van Ovost currently runs the Air Force's Air Mobility Command. She's a former test pilot with over 4,000 flight hours in more than 30 aircraft and is the highest ranking woman in the U.S. Armed Forces. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin says diversity makes the nation stronger and in the military ranks it enhances the ability to defend the American people. Two missions, one the defense of Ramstein Air Base, the other targeting missiles over the Baltic Sea were part of a demonstration to see how well U.S. forces, allies and partners integrate networks for command and control. U.S. Air Forces in Europe worked with the Department of the Air Force Chief Architect to advance the concept of combined joint all-domain command and control or CJADC2. The goal is to create a network that allows the U.S., allies, and partners to share and pass data quickly, providing commanders with the best information available. The demonstration highlighted ways to innovate with current systems and to identify where warfighters need assistance. U.S. Navy and Army Europe were part of the demo, along with forces from the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, and Poland. Physical fitness assessments for airmen and guardians will resume on July 1st, a change from the April start date. The move is to ensure health and safety during the pandemic. When testing resumes, scores will be calculated on a new three-component scoring system, eliminating the waste measurement. Final decisions on point distribution will be announced in June. Airmen can choose to complete a mock test with the fitness assessment cell or their physical training leader and have those results count as an official test score. Work is also underway to separate scoring into five-year age groups instead of 10-year increments. And that's your look around the Air Force. The Advanced Distributed Learning Service, that's uh, ADLS to the kids, is going away, according to the Air Force News Service. It's going to be called My Learning. The digital platform is coming to the Air Force portal beginning March 18th. The ADLS website will be inaccessible to users March 26th. I'll put a link in the description so you can read the, the whole story. You can find all of our links on Linktree. That's linktr.ee forward slash 126ARW. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, you can also download this on your favorite podcast app. If you want to pass on some information to us here, you can email rollcall at 126.arw.pa.mm.org at us.af.mil. Thanks for listening to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast focused on people, mission, and community. I'm Tech Sergeant Brian Ellison.